So quickly before we get started this morning, I had a special request from Zoe Ware. She made the pumpkin bread today, and she would like just a show of hands. If you prefer raisins, raise your hand. So there's, that's three, Zoe. So I'm going to go ahead and say no raisins wins. I don't think there's ever raisins in this bread. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Sorry, that was an inside joke. So we went to Zoe and Zach's one time for a game night, and she made this dish. I have to explain this now because I said that. And uh, I didn't remember there being onions in it, and so Jerrica recreated this, and there were lots of onions in it. And I'm not uh, what you would call, per se, an onion connoisseur, and so I was apparently a jerk about it. I didn't think. I was just saying I don't remember there being onions. And so we verified with Zoe, were there onions? And of course, she answered with me and said no. So uh, that's not what happened, but... <laughs> we are in part five of our series looking at the book of John. We're in chapter four today. Um, I've been really excited about this series. I feel like God has been doing some things through it. And so if you've missed the first couple weeks of that, you can always go back online, YouTube or on Facebook and find our previous uh, series sermons. We also have a podcast. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but all the sermons are on uh, po- uh, it's, it's iTunes, right? It's on all the things. So if you search Crosspoint Fellowship of Public Missouri, you'll find that, and that'll be just the sermon, not the whole service. But I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to those, not because I personally did anything great, but just because I think that God was moving through this. I know that he's changed me over the course of the previous four weeks, but I continue to be excited about uh, looking at the book of John, and I'm especially excited um, about chapter four today. It just kind of continues to build on what it is that we've done. So we're going to be in verses four through 26. I'm going to read four through eight to begin, and it says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now that's kind of an important note. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the start of this passage for me is a little confusing because it states that Christ had to go, right? Had to go through Samaria. But the fact of the matter is that that's not really true. There was a separate path, a separate way, a separate road that went around Samaria. And it went through a town called Perea. It was on the east side of the Jordan River. And traditionally, that would be the route that Jews would take so they could avoid Samaria altogether. Now, it was a lot longer of a journey, but it was the way that was kind of like the chosen way to go. So you didn't even have to deal with this people group that in Jewish tradition was unclean, right? They were unsavory. They didn't mix. They didn't mingle, uh, didn't really have anything to do with each other. And so the fact that Jesus goes through Samaria, chooses not to take this separate route, really shows that he is willing to buck tradition uh, that he might seek the lost. It shows Christ's heart. What's really the most important thing to him is not doing what's convenient per se, not even doing what's uh, tradition, right? He didn't take that path because it was shorter. He took that path that he might come across 
the lost, that he might be able to teach at least one person who wasn't following at that time what was known as the way, was following Christ. And so it shows that Christ isn't concerned with that which would separate you from him. He instead focuses on how he might bring you into the fold. And that's really important. It's a really important thing to know about the beginning of this passage because you could just read it, browse right over that, think nothing of it, but it has some significance. It's actually very, very important. You see, Christ, as the Savior of the world, seeks out those who are despised, who are outcasts. He seeks those that others would seek to avoid, and he does so intentionally. And as Christians, we have to continue that legacy. We have to continue that legacy where we seek out the corners of this world that maybe Christ hasn't reached, that we seek out places in our community that Christ is not prevalent, that we seek out people who don't know our Savior, because that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, it may be more convenient. It may be more comfortable. It may be more acceptable in some circles to not do so, right? Because who wants to go somewhere and then it gets around the church circle? Did you see so-and-so down there at just one more? Or did you, you know what I mean? All those, they were, they were at a bar. They, they were at a bar, right? You have all those things. But while that may be more acceptable, it's definitely not more Christ-like. It's not more Christ-like. Christ intentionally went to places where others would avoid just so that he could win hearts. And our desire for winning hearts must be more than our desire for really anything else. We have to seek to win the lost, to show the lost that there is a Savior who loves them, who desires them, who will leave the 99 and chase the one, who will avoid the more acceptable route in order to go the route that says, hey, you are loved, and there is something about God that you need to know. Now, his request for water and his mention that the disciples' journey uh, of his of their journey for sustenance, right? So his request for water, it's saying that they went off to find food shows that Christ is human. And that's important because part of the reason Christ desires after those struggling from the human condition is that he himself struggled from the human condition. He knew what it was like to be thirsty. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be tempted. He knew what it was like to, I think at times, see sin. And and I think that Jesus, hear me out, I think that Jesus could see the allure of sin, right? The draw of sin, why people might sin. He could see that. He just avoided it. And so he was able to really empathize with people that he came across. He was able to understand because he was fully human. But the fact that he was willing to have a conversation with this woman shows that he wasn't bound by human constraint or human condition right? He was above what everyone said is and was acceptable. Jews did not talk to Samaritans in this day, okay? Men did not talk to women, especially stranger to stranger, especially stranger to stranger. A Jewish rabbi would rather go thirsty. Hear me out on this. A Jewish rabbi would rather go thirsty than break these standards. But Jesus said, to heck with these standards. The person is more important. The person is more important. And, and the woman's response shows us just how different Jesus' request would have been. Because in verses nine, or in verse nine, she says, You are a Jew, 
and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay. And again, this is one of those things you could read over and you could say, oh yeah, it's not traditional. Jesus is doing something different. But to really understand what's taking place here means something even more. You see, what Jesus was willing to risk just by having this conversation with this woman, by taking a drink from her bucket that she was drawing water with, he was willing to become ceremonially unclean. That was something for Jews that was not good. It made you an outcast of society until you went through the rituals needed to become ceremonially clean again. I can't say that word if you haven't noticed. It's kind of like Benedict Cumberbatch and penguins. If you haven't seen that, look it up. You're welcome. <laughs> Having said all that, he, he was willing to risk becoming ceremonially unclean to be looked at by his fellow Jews as untouchable, as not worthy to even be around. That's a big deal because rabbinic law, Jewish law stated that a Jew could not even use the dishes of a Samaritan. Didn't matter if they were dirty dishes or clean dishes, they couldn't even use the dishes of a Samaritan or that would make them ceremonially unclean. But Christ did not care. In fact, he goes on to tell her in verse 10, says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He would have given you living water. See, Christ is here trying to quench his physical thirst, but expresses to this confused woman that if she only knew, if she had any clue of who she was talking to, that all she would have to do is ask and she would have her soul's thirst quenched. Stop calling me. She would have her soul's thirst quenched. All she had to do was ask, and he would give her this living water. Within all of us, there is a desire for purpose, for meaning, for understanding, a want to end our quest to figure out why we're here. Why am I here? Why am I here on this earth? Why do I live in Southwest Missouri? Why do I live in this community and have this job? We all want to seek and know those answers. Have you ever thought about that? How did I get here? Like, I know how I got here. I don't need that talk. But I'm just saying, how did I, like, why am I in Missouri and not in Texas? Why don't I live in Maine? Why do I live in the United States of America and not somewhere else? What about God's purpose for me has placed me here in this time and in this moment. We are all seeking those answers. Even non-Christians, they're all seeking those answers. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? I'm here to tell you today that I believe that true fulfillment, true fulfillment always comes and only comes once you have found Christ. That thing that everybody's looking for, that thing that they're trying to understand, the answer to that question of what am I doing here is Christ. And for those of you that are crazy, you look around the room, you can see people nodding their heads, and I'm one of them because they, they understand what I'm saying. We seek and we seek and we seek and we seek. Christ tells us if we seek, we will find. The problem is we're seeking the wrong things. What he's trying to express to her here is that if you seek 
living water. You will be given living water. If you seek me, you will be given that which you are searching for. Verse 11, she says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can I get this living water? Where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and livestock? Again, what's interesting about her response is the question that she asked him, are you greater than Jacob? The way that it was posed in the original language, in the, in the Greek, would have told you that her expectation of an answer would have been no, absolutely not. She's asking this question already in her mind, knowing the answer that there is no way, not a chance that this man sitting across from her asking for a drink could be possibly greater than her father, Jacob. There's no possible way. She can't comprehend someone greater than Jacob. And more so, she can't comprehend a greater gift than that of the well that Jacob left for his descendants. But Jesus is here to show her where she's wrong once again. In 13, he says that he answered, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, I'm assuming he's pointing. I'm just assuming. Everyone who's drinking this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So her question, are you greater than Jacob? Is your gift that you're claiming to be able to give greater than his gift? No way. But Jesus' answer is absolutely. Absolutely yes. He is claiming exactly that, that he has something greater than she can even comprehend. Not only will those who drink of the well's water thirst again, but they will have to continually work to receive it. They will have to continually pursue it. Jacob's well was identified years ago by archaeologists, and still to this day, it was found to be one of the deepest wells in all of Palestine. So to draw water from this was effort. It was a work. Water was hand-drawn. Whether they're pulling it up with the rope or they're cranking something, they're getting a workout in. It requires effort. And oftentimes, depending on what they were doing with the water, could have been a daily thing. You took a daily trip to the well to draw your water. Christ is here to blow her, her mind, to blow her expectations. This water that you have to chase after every day because you get thirsty every day, this water that you have to work for every single day, it's not like the water I'm trying to give you. If you have my water, you will never thirst again. And here's something else. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to draw it. Like a spring, it will well up inside of you all the way to eternal life. Such a perfect metaphor for the human condition, for our human situation. We, on our own, constantly have to work to quench an unquenchable thirst. 
If we're chasing after things for fulfillment in this world, we will never stop chasing. We'll always need that next thing. We get that temporary high, but what happens? The high disappears. You want the high again. So you have to continue to chase. You go after money. Well, eventually you want more money. You need more money. You go after a house. Well, eventually, guess what? You can get a bigger house, a better house, a newer house. It's the same thing with cars. It's the same thing with things. There's always something else to get. They come out with a new Apple watch every year. And guess what? I'm an idiot. I buy all of them right? It's iPhone after iPhone. There's always something else to get. Every year, there's a new model of vehicle. Congratulations on your new Cheryl Blazer. In six weeks, there will be a new one, right? There's always something to go after. It's a thirst that you have to continually work to quench. You have to continually draw from that well. And guess what? You will never, ever be satisfied, If you are someone in your life who has never found satisfaction, I would challenge you to try Jesus, to try Jesus. I can tell you in my life, I'm comfortable. There are times where I have felt poor. There are times where I have felt richer, but I've never been happier than when I've been with Jesus. There are some days, this is twisted, I'm just going to, this is me being honest. This is me saying one of those things pastors shouldn't say. There are some days where I think life probably would have been easier if I never found Jesus, right? Because we go through these ups and downs in our relationship with him. We know what it's like to be on the mountain when we found it. We know exactly what it's like. But when you find yourself in that valley, when you feel like you're far away from God, when you're not in your word, when your prayer life's not strong, when everything just feels like a struggle, you know the difference and the difference stinks. The difference is awful. But Christ is here to say that if you will pursue me, if you will make that your focus in life, you won't have to keep searching. You won't have to keep trying to find fulfillment. I will fulfill you. I will provide for you what it is that you are looking for. Because when we draw from the wrong well, we seek fulfillment from a broken world when we should be seeking fulfillment from a perfect Savior. And if we would just do that, if we would just do that, then we would find ourselves never thirsting again. In verse 15, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. She still doesn't get it. Give me this water. I don't want to come back to this well. This stinks. Every day I got to come out, drop it down, pull it up. It gets heavy. I get tired. You want some of my water? You see how hard I'm working for this? You don't have a bucket. You're not getting my water. It's my water. I'm from New York City. Never mind. That's okay. Right? We seek fulfillment in this wrong source and, and, Sometimes we misunderstand exactly what it is that Christ is trying to do, just like she did. Give me this water. I don't want to thirst anymore. I don't want to have to work for this anymore. Of course she wants it. Of course she wants it. But seeing that she still doesn't understand that Jesus is trying to quench a, her soul's thirst, right? Not her physical thirst. Seeing that she doesn't understand that, Jesus decides to kind of change course of action. I'm trying to bring her here. She's not going to quite get there. So let's just meet her most immediate spiritual need. 
So he tells her in verse 16, go call your husband and come back. Go call your husband and come back. Well, in 17, she replies, I have no husband. And Jesus replies to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. The fact is you've had five husbands. You've been treating other men like they're your husband. Five of them, in fact. You've been doing husband and wife things with five different sources. You've been seeking fulfillment in these men, and you're not finding it. So you continue to seek out another. Go get your husband. Come on back. And he goes on to say, the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, I don't think that Jesus was a jerk when he said this. I don't think he raised his voice. I don't think he yelled at her. I don't think he was domineering. I don't think he belittled her. He was just exposing the truth that he knew about her. You don't have a husband because you've had five. This is how you're choosing to live your life. And just so you know, it's wrong. It's sinful. I know. Jesus spoke these words to this woman in order to show her that he knew everything about her. He knew everything about her. Jesus knows everything about her. Guess what? Jesus knows everything about you. Why is that important? Why is it important to expose to this woman that he knows her truth? Because what is Christ doing in this moment? Is he trying to avoid her? Did he take the long way around Samaria? Did he avoid her at all costs? Did she come to the well and then he get up and move away? No, what did he do? He pursued her. He pursued her. He chased after her. He tried to bring her into the family of God. He tried to give her this water that would quench her soul's thirst. And the whole time he knew her story. The whole time he knew of her sin. And did he say, sorry, I can't do business with you. You don't have a Jesus fish on your van. Sorry, can't do business with you. You hire people that aren't Christian. Sorry, can't do business with you. You're not one of ours. Is that what he did? No. No, he pursued her anyways. Lady, listen, I know everything about you. I see your sin. I see your imperfection. I know how you are not meeting God's expectations, and I want you anyways. This water is still for you anyways. She continues to go on and and talks about how she's waiting, her and her people group are waiting for the Messiah. Let's read 19 through 26. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. She at least knows there's something special about Jesus. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Your Samarit- you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must also worship in spirit and truth. You see, God doesn't need somebody to worship in a specific place. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. 
You don't have to be in the temple. Not to say you can't worship there. Not to say you won't find value in it. But God is seeking people who worship him in their heart. God is seeking people who worship them with their soul, with their being, with everything it is that they have. That is the type of worshiper that God is chasing after. And the woman says, I know that a Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Can you imagine? Have you ever, you ever seen those videos where there's, there will be some celebrity and they'll be carrying on a conversation with somebody who doesn't recognize them? Like I, this happens all the time with athletes. You see one of these videos every couple months where somebody go up. There was a one a couple years ago with Jason Veritek and I know this is long, but I'm going to get to it. He was a catcher for the Boston Red Sox when they were like winning all of those World Series. He was their captain, wore a big C on his jersey, right? Huge. He was like the leader. He was beloved. Wasn't the best player on the team, but like was the Red Sox through and through, right? Everybody loved this guy. If you were a Red Sox fan, if you are a Red Sox fan, you still to this day love Jason Veritek. Last month, he was at Walt Disney World with his family and they're walking around and there's this whole family in Boston Red Sox gear. And there's this dad who's got a Veritex uh, jersey on, like the t-shirt jersey. It has his name and Veritex number and Jason Veritek comes up and he's like asking for directions. <laughs> hey, do you, do you know how to get to Magic Mountain or whatever? And the guy's like got a hot dog in his mouth. He's like, oh, so, so, so. <laughs> go over here. And, and then he starts asking, he's like, you like that team? And he's like, yeah, buddy. I like the team, right? He goes, who's a Verit talk? Like he mispronounced his last name. He's like, Do you, is he good? He's like, yeah, he's the best, buddy. You know, like get, get, starting to get mad. He's like, oh, well, would you know him if you saw him? The guy's like, I think I'd know him, yeah. <laughs> right? And then Jason Veritek's like, hi, I'm Jason Veritek. And the guy's like, no way. You know what I mean? Like, this is what's happening right here. This woman's like, I know there's a Messiah coming. They call him the Christ. He's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah? You, you like this guy? I see you're wearing his jersey. Oh, hi, by the way, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're talking about, right? Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. Explaining that he is the Messiah she's waiting for right? She, he is the Messiah that she's waiting for. So Jesus goes through this whole story. He exposes to her what he knows about her and then lets her know that he's the Messiah so that she knows that the Messiah, the savior of the world, the one that she has been waiting for is there pursuing her in this moment, despite her imperfection. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You don't have to get rid of your mess to be wanted by the Messiah. That's a t-shirt, by the way. You don't have to get rid of your mess to be wanted or loved by the Messiah. And you know what? People should not have to be perfect to be loved by his people either. I know it's a cliche, but we are to love the sinner and not the sin. 
And sometimes a sinner can't separate themselves from the sin. This is who I am. But even if they don't understand, doesn't mean that we get to not understand. We must love the sinner in the sinner's condition, where they are, how they're living right now in this moment. Why? Because that's what Christ did. And if we're Christians, if we are little Christ, if we are his representation roaming around this world to tell the world who Jesus is, then we have to love them where they are, how they are, in whatever condition we find them. That's our task. That's our job. That's what we should be doing. And if we're not, if we're not, then we are lying to them about who Jesus is. We are lying to them about who Jesus is. And if we do that over and over and over and over again, hey, I hate to break it to you, but I hope you enjoy hot places. You can claim to be a Christian all day long and not show people the love of Christ. People will wave at you from hell. There's truth. It's uncomfortable. Let me tell you something. There's going to be Christians in hell. Christians. There are going to be pastors in hell. There are going to be priests in hell. There are going to be people who have claimed to devote their life to Christ, the Son, and God the Father, and they will end up in hell. Because they will get to Jesus and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you know what's even worse? You apparently never knew me. I came to you at your well. I came to you at your well. I tried to reveal myself to you. I tried to quench your soul's thirst. And you turned away from me. You turned away from me. And what's even worse is you turned others away from me because you didn't show them who I was. We've got to be in our word, people. We've got to be in our word. We've got to be praying daily. We've got to be practicing what it's like to follow the Spirit. Because like any skill, it takes time. You're going to get it wrong a few times. We've got to be doing these things every day because we have a responsibility to show the world what it means to be loved like Jesus. We may be imperfect, but he is not. Pray with me. God, I come to you right now in this moment today, Lord, just seeking you. Not just for myself, but on the behalf of everyone here. Reveal truth to us. Help us to address sin in love. As cliche as it has become, help us to love the sinner and not the sin. God, you leave the 99 to chase after the one. And it seems like we just try to find the center of the circle of 99. Can't be afraid of the world around us. Can't be afraid to take chances. Can't be afraid to get messy. We will make mistakes. We will do wrong. 
Father, we have to chase after you. We have to chase after you. So I pray that you give us a spirit and a heart that wants only that. That seeks to follow wherever it is that you might lead us. Give us a heart for the world that the world doesn't even have for itself. May people see the true Christ through us. I ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We're going to have some folks around the room ready to pray for you. Rodney, back there, our residential chaplain, is ready to pray for you. He would love to pray for you. Allie, are you feeling up to it? She's, this is like her 12th month of pregnancy. She's going for the pachyderms gestation period. But she... Uh, she would love to pray for you. And I, I mean, not saying that I don't pray well, but Allie like packs a punch when she prays. So if you got something you really need to happen, come see us both maybe is all I'm saying. I'll be straight back. You need to pray about anything. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. You are not a burden. You are not a problem. You are a loved child of God. And your problems are his problems. He makes that clear in Scripture. So if you have something you need to pray about, come pray with one of the three of us, okay? Or grab somebody else. Jericho would pray with you. Come grab her. Pray with somebody. If you need to, to know what it would be like, if you're one of those people who's been chasing for a long time, looking to quench that, that thirst, to understand what your purpose is, and you want to know what it takes to try that living water, to accept Christ's offer, Come talk to one of us, okay? Come talk to one of us. We can walk you through those steps. We can tell you what it looks like. And that is absolutely the most important thing that you could ever do. Otherwise, right now, what you need to do is stand and you need to worship. Your worship needs to be an offering to the God who has provided that living water for you. Let's do that now.